you are listening to Discovery Church Podcast. Here's what it says. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. So, like, this is the Apostle Paul. He's, he's, he's writing. He's letting the church know, like, hey, I don't have it all together. I know it looks like I have it all together, but I don't have it all together. How many of you guys don't have it all together? Yeah, my hand's up, too. Um, but one thing that I do, and this is our, important because this is framing what we're going to be talking about today. He says, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. I think good context is, is to understand that what Paul is saying here, that I'm forgetting the past. I think it's very easy to be like, oh, Paul's talking about forgetting the bad things in life. But, but really, Paul had a great life. Like, he was high-ranked. Uh, he, he was someone that, that people... Uh, he would be invited to all of the, the 1% parties, you know what I'm saying? Like, the, Paul had a great life. And so he's not just saying forgetting about the bad things that happen, but even the good things. Because sometimes the good things can hold us from even better things. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, I want to pray one more time, and then we'll jump in. Father, we love you. God, I thank you for uh, your faithfulness in our lives. I pray that within the next uh, moments together, God, that your word would just come alive. Father, we thank you that if we allow your word to, it can cut away things that we just don't want in our lives, God. And so we thank you for that. We love you. God, we want to leave change, not for our own benefit, but so that we can change the world around us. We love you so much in Jesus' name. Come on, everyone said, amen. Hey, getting old is weird. Okay, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say that right now. Getting old is weird. Like when I turned 26, like I was like, man, this is like old. I'm turning 27 in three weeks. Actually, John, it doesn't matter. But in case you want to know, September 15th. Shut up, John. Um, so uh, I'll be turning 27 in, and uh, shut up. <laughs> Uh, um, okay, okay, I'm turning 36. But, but getting old is weird. That's what I'm trying to say. Getting old is weird. I am not a fan of getting old. Like things happen to your body that, that, that is just weird. Okay, yeah, let's, let's keep our minds clean. And uh, things happen when you, uh, heartburn is a real thing. I did not know that until I was 35. I love spicy things. I'll eat spicy things right before I go to bed, and I'm fine. I hit 35, what happens? I eat spicy things, I go to bed, and in the middle of the night, I'm like, oh. <laughs> like I have like indigestion. It comes, it's, it's disgusting. It's weird, it's weird. Perhaps one of uh, the most uh, thing most weird thing that that I'm really fighting against is uh, <laughs> is balding. Like uh, now, I know. Hear me out. Hear me out. This is a real thing. This is a real thing. Um, like I treasure my hair. Okay. Like I and then the other. It was about a month ago. I'm looking in the mirror, and I, you know, I'm doing my whatever, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm balding. 
Like, it's, it was getting a little, like, faint right here, a little light. And I'm like, oh, no. Like, it was the worst day ever, okay? And then I was getting frustrated. I found myself getting frustrated at people, like, I didn't even, I've never met, right? Like, because I know that balding is genetics. And so I started blaming, like, grandparents I never met. Great, like, why did you have to give me these stinking jeans and, and like, I'm just like, it's just, and so like, I'm like, oh my gosh. I go to my wife, I'm like, babe, I think I'm balding. And I'm like, look. And she's like, no. But the way she said it was like, yes, with the no, like, and I'm like, no. And my son heard it, and so now my son's like, dad, you're balding. <laughs> I'm like, you're grounded, go to your room. <laughs> and, uh, and it's okay, so, so. So this is a real thing. I'm like, oh my gosh, maybe my barber will know what to do when you bald. So I schedule uh, an appointment to go see my barber, a barber, um, and I was like, hey man, look. And I was like, <laughs> and I was like, I think I'm balding. What do I do? And he's like, you're not really balding. I'm like, no, I, I really am. And he's like, it's not bad. And I'm like, what do you mean it's not bad? And, and it, there's just a back and forth going on. And then all of a sudden, in the chair right next to me, this guy, uh, the barber, his, his customer came in, sat down. Guy was balding, okay? He, this guy, and he said to his barber, he's like, I'm balding, what do I do? And I looked over and I was like, praise God I'm not balding, right? Like, <laughs> like in that moment, I felt so good. And I started celebrating that I'm not balding like him. <laughs> and, uh, and I tell you that because I think it's, it's very easy in life to forget what you have. I think it's very easy in life to forget sometimes how good you have it. Isn't that true? Like sometimes, like I forgot that, yeah, I might be losing like three strands of hair every three years, but my buddy over here was like handfuls, like we're just falling out. And I remembered, I don't have it that bad. I don't have it that bad. And so I, I, I begin to, to celebrate quietly. But I was thinking about this idea of like celebrating, like celebrating and celebration about like what what you have, right? Like when I was celebrating my, my hair, whatever it is in your context, like whatever you're celebrating, whatever you're glad that you have, I think like there's this dangerous point in place where if you're not careful, celebration can turn into complacency. Right? You can start celebrating something so much that it can keep you in that place and never move you to the next stage in life. In fact, we actually have a phrase for this. We call it the good old days. You guys ever use that phrase, the good old days? Like my wife and I, we were talking about like the good old days, right? Uh, before, good old days before kids. Now, no, don't hear me out. Like I love my kids. Anyone else have ring on their phone? That's awkward. Um, we'll turn that off. And so I was, my wife and I, we were talking about the good old days, 
right? I was like, babe, remember the good old days when headaches weren't a thing? I'm kidding. That'll come to you at lunch. Um, <laughs> everyone's like, what? You'll get it. You'll get it later. I was like, babe, like, remember the good old days when we didn't have kids? And we can just go out whenever we wanted to. And we can, if we wanted to just randomly go to the movies, we could. The good old days. I was like, babe, do you remember the good old days when whatever, like, do you guys remember your good old days? And I think what's scary about the good old days is that if we're not careful, the good old days can keep us from ever experiencing the better days. I've met so many people that live in the good old days. It's like, oh, the good old days when. Oh, the good old days were the good old days. And so I want to talk to you guys about, about the good old days because I think that if we're not careful, the good old days will hold us in one place. I think this is true in your life as a parent, in your marriage, as a student. But I also think it's true in a church. See, I think it's so easy to just, to forget about the good old days within the context of discovery. So what I want to do is I just, I want to just spend a couple moments and just celebrate what God has done within these past five years. Because I, I think if you're, if you're uh, made like me, I'm always, I, I, I forget to enjoy the now. And I always like, I'm looking ahead. And, uh, and I never get a chance to celebrate what God has done and what God is doing. And so I just want to take a, a couple moments just to celebrate what God has done in this church the past five years. I think first off, it is, it is definitely something to celebrate the fact that we made it to year five as a church. Like that's huge. Statistically, we don't. I know two church planners by name that are good friends that started a church and did not make it to year five. Like, that's something to celebrate. I think it's something to celebrate that we now have a church in Rona Park where people can come to, and they don't got to drive to Petaluma or, or Santa Rosa or Windsor or Healdsburg just to get a life-giving church, that so they can come here in their own community. That's huge. I think it's something to celebrate that within 2019, we've had 19 people lift their hands and say, hey, I want to make a decision to follow Christ. That is huge. We've had five people water baptized, and we still have two more, I believe, before the year ends. That's something to celebrate about, just what God is doing. And, and he's doing so many things in our church. There is a guy, uh, him and his wife, they served on our dream team. If you're new, dream team are our volunteers that are amazing every Sunday. And so uh, they, they serve all of a sudden, randomly, the guy has his cancer. He had cancer, and the cancer spread all throughout his body, right? It's crazy. I visit him at the hospital. It's like his deathbed. He's in his deathbed. He's lost, like, so much weight, and, and, and it was like, man, he's just not going to make it. Like, cancer has spread all throughout his body. Some of our pastors went over there. We prayed for him. 
People were praying for him. The church began to pray for him. Our, our prayer leader were, was praying for him, and people were just faithful and praying for him. He's back at home now, gaining his weight back. He's eating. He's walking now. Come on, God is doing something in this church. He's doing something that we can celebrate and say, man, I am proud and I am glad that I am part of what God is doing here. But here's the danger. It's very easy to think about what God has done and to get complacent in it and to begin to say, well, God, God already did all these cool things. Maybe, maybe he doesn't have to do anything else. Maybe it's fine. Just now. Maybe, maybe we can just stay in the good old days. But again, I want to reiterate that whatever God is doing in this church, I think our best days are ahead of us. That the best is yet to come. And so there lies the tension. How do we, as a church, how do we break past this, this feeling of comfort? Because how many guys like just being comfort com or comfortable, excuse me? Like, how do we get past that so that we can step into all that God has for us? Because it's easy to get sucked into the trap of the good old days and staying in the good old days. And so what I want us to do is answer that question within the next 10, 15 minutes that I have left on my screen. And how we're going to do that is we're going to look through the life of this guy named Nehemiah. Now, Nehemiah, he, he has a phenomenal book in the Old Testament. It's not that long, so if you want to read it uh, this week, it, I think it would be a great read. But Nehemiah, he had this really cool job. He was a cup bearer. And uh, what the cup bearer would do is uh, well, he, he was a trusted, and, and you had to be trustworthy and loyal for this position. And uh, a big responsibility of the cupbearer is that whenever the king would have food or something to drink, the cupbearer would taste the food, taste the drink to make sure it wasn't poisoned. And if it was, well, they got a new cupbearer. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just, that's just how it works. And so, so here's Nehemiah. He was a cupbearer. He, he was in a high-ranking um, position in, in, the, in, in the king's uh, castle, he worked for uh, the Persian king Artaxerxes. And Nehemiah was living the dream, okay? He was living the dream. He was living in a posh spot in the palace, just doing life. But what's amazing about Nehemiah is that he didn't come from royalty, he he didn't come from um, he he didn't come from the the lineage of royalty. In fact, he came he he was an Israelite. Like he he came from this little town, his hometown called Jerusalem. And in the story that we're about to read and, and and dive into, Nehemiah he has this. He has this choice. He has this decision that he has to make. Am I going to stay comfortable in the palace or am I going to step out of my comfort and see what God is going to do outside of that? And so we're going to start in uh, 
verse 1, chapter 1, excuse me. And so three things that Nehemiah, that got Nehemiah moving from a place of comfort, comfort to a place of confidence. Here's the first one for all you note takers. Nehemiah had to know that was once me. Know that was once me. Here's chapter one and verse four. Nehemiah got word that the city, or excuse me, uh, when I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. Here's what's going on. Nehemiah, he gets word that his hometown has been destroyed. His city has been destroyed. And verse 4 is critical to understand the connection that he had to his city because it says that Nehemiah wept for his city. He wept for his city. Like really, Nehemiah, he, he could have been like, when, when he got news of his city that it was broken and, and torn down, Nehemiah could have been like, oh man, that's, you know, that stinks. Yes, that's where I grew up, but I'm here now. I'm in the palace. I'm fine. They'll figure it out. Like Nehemiah could have done that. But instead, the text says that he wept. He cried. He fasted and prayed. His heart was so broken for his city that he, he wept and he cried. And I began thinking about that. Nehemiah, like, why would you, why would you cry, man? Like, why, why would you be so sad about this? And then it dawned on me that I wonder if the reason why he began weeping was because Nehemiah understood and he realized and he had the revelation that I'm an insider now, but I once was an outsider. Like I'm here in the palace now, but I once was over there. Like I wonder if the reason that Nehemiah jumped in and started crying was because he remembered where he came from. He remembered what he was part of. He remembered like what he was once doing. Let's bring it in the context of, of the local church. I wonder how easy it is for us sometimes to forget what life looked like before we ever found inside these four walls. I wonder if it's, if it's easy to just, or if it's, excuse me, hard to remember life, what it was like on the outside looking in. See, because right now we all, we all have our little place, right? Like we all have our chairs that we just, we can just sit in. Some of you guys, you sit in the same chair every Sunday. And if someone who you didn't know, like it's first time here and they sit in your chair, you're like, yeah, get them on chair. But it's so easy, isn't it, to like, to, to, to just come here and, and just to sit in your chair and, 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 
and, and to experience worship and experience the message and experience community, but then really forget what it was like when you were out there before you came in here. And, and it, how easy it is to, to forget about how hopeless you were before you were here. To forget about how much uh, uneasiness you had in your heart and how stressed you were and, and how you felt like, man, is there any hope, is there any purpose to life when you were in here? Because sometimes it's just easy to forget that what it was like out, out there. And so I think Nehemiah, the very first thing that he did to remember to be able to get out of this place of comfort to, to help and to do what God was wanting to do, the first thing that he had to do was he had to remember that he was first out there before he ever was in here. Like, that was his city before he ever came into the palace. I think that if we're ever going to get to the place where God wants us to be as a church, even in your own personal life, that you got to get to that place where you understand and remember what God has brought you out of. Because I think it's way too easy to, to forget what God has brought you out of. That's why I love it when people come here, whatever background, whatever thing they're, they're dealing with, and I don't, really, I don't really care. Because I'm constantly rem remembering what God has brought me out of, what God is bringing me out of. I think it's the people that think that they're perfect and holy. Those are the ones that, don't, that aren't accepting when they think that they got everything together. Come on, guys. I'm trying to get us to, to understand. Like, we got to remember what God is bringing us out of if we're ever going to be willing to reach people who aren't even here yet, to remember what we were once into and what we were once doing. So that's number one. Here's number two. We got to know that you're needed. You got to know that you're needed. I'm going to move. I haven't stepped on the stage for a while. Know that you're needed. Chapter three, guys, is all about family and how family was involved in the process of rebuilding this city. So remember, Nehemiah got word, hey, Nehemiah, your hometown was burnt down. Nehemiah had an option. Am I going to stay still? Am I going to stay in the palace or am I going to go do something about it? And Nehemiah decided that he was going to do something about it. And so they begin to build the wall. And chapter 3 is, is so cool because all throughout chapter 3 of the book of Nehemiah, it talks about how this family was responsible for building this. And this family was responsible for rebuilding this. And this family was responsible for, for building this. And it's, and it's all like family, son, so-and-so's son was doing this. And so, I love chapter 3, verse 12. There's, there's a ver, uh, verse 12, it says that this dad, he had his daughters with him. And they were rebuilding the walls. And what I love about chapter 3 is this idea, first idea, that everyone's needed. Everyone has a role to play. Everyone was doing something. Everybody was part of building some part of the wall. 
And I think the same is true with the local church. Everybody here is part of doing something to build the church into what God is wanting it to be, to reach him, people. But here's what I love more so about chapter 3. Yes, we all have, uh, we all have a place and we all have a, a purpose and we all have a, have a role to play. But here's what I've learned is that um, we don't hijack God's plans. Right, so if you don't if you don't take the initiative and, and, and jump in, you, you don't hijack God's plan. It's not like God's plan doesn't work. He just gets the next person up, and you just get to miss out. So so here it is, they're building the family's building. So and so's building this. So and so's building this. And what I loved about this was the generational thing that we saw that we see. This idea that this father was working and his son was working and his son's son was working. And it's a generational thing. And what, what I saw was this idea that parents, you model what's important to your kids. More seasoned people in life <laughs> that are here you model what's important to the younger generation, the next generation. And so it's this idea that as you read chapter 3, it's like this, the, the, the son sees the dad working, building this, 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 uh, the walls around Jerusalem. And, and it's like the son's like, well, dad's doing I might as well jump in too. Oh, dad's doing I might as well jump in this too. And it's this idea that, that we all have this, this role to play, but we all get to model something as well. It's a beautiful picture. Listen, I want you to know this morning, you're needed. You're needed. So how do we, how do we get out of this place of comfort, out of the palace, and be willing to, to help rebuild our city? Well, first we got to remember where we came from, Right? that I was once out there before I found this. I gotta remember that I'm needed. And here's the third one. Okay. No, you gotta know that it's worth it. You gotta know that it's worth it. I love this verse, chapter four, verse seven. It says, but when Sambalot and Tobiah and the Arabs, Ammonites, Acidites, Bud Lights, Miller Lights, her. Thank you. Y'all were too quiet. Heard that the work was going ahead and that the gaps in the wall of Jerusalem were being repaired. They were furious. They all made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion. But we prayed to our God and guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. So check this out. When we first started Discovery, before we started, I was like, I, didn't, I needed a team. I had like 13, 14 people with me. And, and so we sent out mailers all throughout Rona Park. Like, hey, new church is starting. Uh, if you want to be involved, we'd love. We're having like these interest meetings. Um, and gave him my cell phone number on a mailer. And I don't do this anymore. But... So, so we sent it all throughout Warner Park. I got a first phone call. I was so excited. 
I was so excited. I, I missed the phone call, but I got the voicemail. And this person was like, hi, this is so-and-so. I got one of your mailers. And then like, I'm like, ah, someone wants to be part of this. Woo! Continued uh, listening to the voicemail. She said, I received one of your mailers. Please never send me a mailer again. She said, I'm not interested in what you're doing. I don't believe in what you're doing. Please take me off your mailing list. I'm like, But what I realize now that I didn't realize then is that every move of God, everything that God is going to do, there's always going to be a Sambalot in Tobiah in your path that's going to try to slow you down and is going to try to stop you with whatever you're doing that you feel like God has called you to do. And you have to know, you have to place value on what you're doing before the adversity comes. Because if you don't place value before the adversity, when adversity comes, you're already going to think it's not worth it. And so though I received this phone call, and though it stunk, and though I was sad, I already placed value on the local church. I already knew that the local church is the hope of the world. And so even when this person came and tore me down and made me feel yucky, like I still knew it was worth it because I placed value over it. Come on, you gotta know that the local church is the hope of the world. The local church is the hope of the world. And we get this amazing privilege to be part of it. And it's worth it. Even when it gets hard, it's worth it. Every time I'm like, God, this is not worth it. We do an altar call and someone raises their hand to, to, to uh, commit their lives to Jesus. And I'm like, man, it's worth it. Every time I feel like I want to give up, I think about the people that we've touched with we care, handing out backpacks. and It's worth it. Every Sunday morning I get here early. I want to sleep in. No, it's worth it. And here's what I love. Here's why we got to move from the palace to the city. We, get, we got to get past our comfort to where uh, we're, we're helping our, our city who is hurting. And we find it in Nehemiah chapter 4, and then I'm done. says, then as I looked over the situation, this is Nehemiah, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and said to them, don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who was great and glorious and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Here's why we do what we do. Not for us. But for those who aren't here yet, and for the generations to come. Skip to, four, uh, to skip, skip to verse 17. The people of Judah who were building the wall, the laborers, watch this, carried on their work with one hand supporting their load 
and one hand holding their weapon. This is crazy. They're building the wall. So they have their tools in one hand, they have their weapon in the other hand, and they're building and they're fighting, and they're building and they're fighting, and they're building and they're fighting. Why? Because they're remembering, they're fighting, verse 14, for their children, for their grandkids, their parents. I'm fighting. Listen, why do we do what we do every Sunday? For our children, our spouse that's not here yet, our parents who don't know Jesus yet, our roommate who doesn't know Jesus yet. And we keep fighting. We build and we fight. And we build and we fight. And we build and we fight because we have to know that it's worth it. What God is wanting to do in this city of Roner Park. It's worth it. He wants to do something, everyone. He wants to do something. And you get this amazing privilege. I get this amazing privilege to be part of it. And so what I'm asking you is that as we jump into the natural growth season of when people just, they come to faith, they come to church, September and February, we're coming into September, here's what I'm asking you. Would you be willing to invite someone who doesn't know Jesus and remember how it felt before I ever came in here? Man, looking out, outside looking in, so that we can be part of building something for generations to come. See, some of you guys, you're part of building this for some people that you haven't even met yet. For a little girl who hasn't even been born yet that's struggling with identity, a little boy that's struggling with identity that's not even born yet. But because of what we're building and fighting for now, they'll have a place in Roner Park to come and to experience Jesus, to experience the fullness of who he is and allow his love to transform their lives. Amen, somebody? Hey, you're part of it. We've had good old days, but the better days are ahead of us. Thank you for listening to Discovery Church Podcast. Remember, we will have a new message for you every Monday at 5 p.m. Make sure to like and subscribe and you will be notified when a new episode is ready for listening.